what do you want? What, what is your dream? And I think a lot of people struggle with knowing what their dream is. Raw, a podcast by Lightspeed and Poe. This is a podcast about the highs and lows of running a hospitality business. In collaboration with the Poe Network, you come to know with a conversation amplified. We have frank and open discussions about the state of the industry from the best leaders in hospitality. We aim to capture the extent of how far the conversations can go. Uncensored, stripped and genuine, powerful and grounded in confidence. We unpack the unique first-hand experiences from the experts tackling very real and at times intense issues of our industry. Now in today's podcast, Keppel Street Kitchen located in inner city suburb of Redfern is not just a local favorite, but also a destination. With a focus on breakfast and lunch, Keppel Street Kitchen was the first business by our next guest and opened in November 2012. The venue excels on having a modern Mediterranean menu with a Middle Eastern twist. Since its opening, this award-winning restaurant led by Michael and his partner Christy have racked up numerous accolades, including the Sydney Morning Herald's Best Cafe Food Award, as well as winning a hat in the Good Food Guide. Michael and Christy have also co-written two books, Falafel for Breakfast and Hummus and Co, as well as having one of Sydney's best catering businesses, Catering by Kepos. So I feel really fortunate to talk with the owners of Kepos Street Kitchen, Michael and Christy. How are you both today, guys? Thanks, Sean. How are you? How are you, Sean? Thanks, um, thanks so much for coming on. I know this has been, um, over the last couple of weeks, getting to know you guys uh, intently and, and obviously doing so much research into into what is an amazing location in regards with Keppel Street. But I know in regards with this podcast series with Raw and with Lightspeed, like we, we're going to go deep into like why you got into the industry and, and what you love. So I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation that we're going to have today. So let's start off with how you guys actually started the business because I think the external advice that you took on when you started the business you know, obviously, how did you get into hospitality in the first place? And then once you actually got into the business itself, like how did it actually start? Oh, I'll let you lead with that one, Christy. Okay, great. I would, for me, my background, I've gone from airlines to hotels to working at events to then working in a restaurant and then that's actually where I met Michael. So we used to work together at the Bathers Pavilion restaurant at Balmoral Beach. So we met there maybe like 19 years ago now. Um, And so at that time I was doing the office manager role there, which it was a restaurant that had um, over 100 staff at the time, which that just boggles my mind now, even trying to recruit 100 staff um, post-pandemic. But it was, um, I think, that a, a position there that gave me the insight then to stepping into Kepos, lots of different experience where Michael and I um, have both had quite varied experience that has, you know, led us to opening our own rent restaurant. My experience is mostly restaurants and fine dining restaurants. So casual has never been on the radar at all for me so starting Kepos was just a new experience and something that we went into something that we didn't know anything about 
the coffee culture is something we had no clue what we were actually dealing with in Sydney or breakfast or lunches. That's something that we had to learn and teach ourselves what to do. And I think part of the success of it is we didn't really care what was happening outside our own little bubbled borders. We created what borders are for us. Yeah. Did that explain that? Maybe, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so for, Michael had has been a chef for a long time and has always wanted to own his own restaurant. But... I think it was one of those things, it's a big leap when you've got a full-time salary and, you know, then to kind of say, okay, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go and open my own space. So many years ago, my parents were, there is a purpose to this story, my parents were going on a cruise for three months and we had decided to buy them a coffee machine with the coffee, like the pods. So we went to the Aldi in Waterloo, which is across the road from the current Capo Street kitchen site, and we parked the car, walked up and said, you know, wouldn't that be a fantastic site, that little restaurant over there, if it ever came up for lease? So we went, you know, we kind of you know had a little bit of a dream about it, go into Aldi, come back 20 minutes later and the for lease sign had gone up on the window in that 20 minutes that we had been in the um, supermarket. So we called the real estate agent and she was like, that sign's just gone up. We were going, we know, we know. So after kind of much negotiation back and forward, that's how we ended up taking on the site. Um, so for at the beginning, Michael was working there full time and we were open for breakfast, lunch and dinner. I was still working at Bather's Pavilion and was doing that full time but getting up at six o'clock in the morning and doing the payroll before I was going into bathers, coming back at night when Michael was at dinner, doing all the, you know, the accounts work and whatever. So it was the first two years were absolutely full on. Um, and then that's, then I left when uh, just around the time that Capos and Co opened, which was our second restaurant. And then now both of us are full time in the business. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, any other way? Would you? Oh no, no other way. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, the romance of that first side and and seeing you know seeing it twenty minutes uh, for at least twenty minutes after like it, it went up. Um, did you take any external advice to make that decision to then take on that business, or would, do you think it was just right place, right time? You know, you're already sort of really wanting to do a business, and then you sort of just dove into it. I think we both combined together, we come with a, a lot of experience and knowledge about setting businesses for other people and working in a multiple uh, venues for different operators. So we did come with a lot, a lot of experience between the two of us. But maybe we should have taken some external help, but <laughs> there has been a lot of negativity as well from a lot of people because we were trying to do something different and the more negative approach I got from people is the more we got stuck to our guns doing what we actually wanted to do mm -hmm. and I think that has been one of our biggest successes actually doing mm -hmm. what we wanted to do not what people thought we should actually be doing oh yeah. that, that, the first weekend that we got the keys 
my sisters and brothers-in-law and whatever, they came for a drink and they, I could hear them going, what have Christy and Michael done? Like, why did they look at all this, this space? And it was like, so the colour of the cookbook, the burgundy, mm-hmm. at this restaurant, the walls were dark burgundy. There was inside and, inside out. and out. Wow. It was very dark. There was no, no kind Just of. Very run down, very dark. If you went to the bathroom, you actually had to walk into a courtyard that had no covering. So in the if it was raining, people would have got wet. Like we would, and I think because we were maybe a little bit green and in naive. some, naive in some regards, that it meant that it was like, I don't know, we were kind of experiencing things as we were going along. Not necessarily would I recommend that for people. Mm. Like we did a business plan through the New South Wales Small Business um, like a government website and it wasn't like creating a plan you actually would um it almost asked you a series of questions and then it created the business plan for you and that was that was interesting you know mm. to do that but it wasn't something that we followed you know to the t sure. um yeah I, I so, think we learned a lot of things on the job more than with our experience, we never experienced running our own business. Sure. I think that was the hardest thing is it's mm. probably like people having their first one child. What do you actually do? There's no right and wrong. It's exactly like running a business. What do you do? There's nothing right and wrong. So it is what I think as well, it is our energy that went into it beyond the product, the restaurant, the location, everything there was a big part of it was our energy as well. Mm. That we did believe that we will make it work because we didn't really have a choice except making it work. Mm. Just failure was never an option. Never an option. So we we had to work our asses off to actually make it work. So it didn't didn't really matter what the price was. Did I have to stay till one o'clock at night? Did I need to open at 5 a.m.? Christy needed to bake me cakes at midnight or... Uh, she needed to do accounts <laughs> at 1am. It doesn't matter what really was required. It's probably exactly how people feel when they have a firstborn child. Mm. They have to wake up in the middle of the night and feed. And that's how we treated our business like a firstborn child. And if we needed to wake up at 2am because the alarm went off and we didn't know what the hell was happening, I would wake up and with my jammies and not even brush my teeth, run to the restaurant and check if everything was all right. Do you know what is the funny thing? We've actually, between the two restaurants, been broken into four times. Wow. So the, the, the first time that we got broken into. But if you calculated that's in 14 years, four times in a location that is. Oh, 10 years, yeah. And between the two of them, yes, 14 yes. years. Oh, yeah. 14, so, 17 years. That's not a lot. Yeah, so we the first time we got broken into, our bread supplier called and or someone called Michael and said, you know, you've been broken into. And, That's the milk going at 3 a.m. Yeah, so we literally, like, got out of bed and drove down there and we were like, oh, no. By the last break-in, which was in, the, in between the two COVIDs, you just go, oh, yeah, we'll call the police. <laughs> <laughs> Off you go. It's just funny how you so... And again, that goes back to Michael's analogy, probably with kids. You're a bit more relaxed about mm. everything, you know, rather than, you know, like you know, you've got insurance and everything can be replaced. Everyone was all right, you know. That's yes. You're a bit more conditioned. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So what 
like the love for that first site, like I always love to talk about with with venue owners, like what made them love their first site? What was it about it when so many people were saying negative things to you about that particular, that location that you loved and you knew would make it work? A, the manageable size, I, I think. A, the location was very close to where we lived, so it was an easy location to understand. And I think that was very important, understanding the location where you're going to be opening because you do know the demographic, you know the people around, you have already created friendship around. So if people see you in your own venue, you've already captured some form of customer base walking in. Mm. And that was kind of one reason the size was a second reason we dined in that establishment before we actually owned that establishment before. So we had the opportunity to talk to the previous owners of how they run it. So we had a lot of insights of the location. We had a lot of insights of the premises itself and as well, the, it, it was meant to be somehow in every way it was actually meant to be because after we called, I tried to make everything difficult so I can actually have an exit. Mm. While everything that I said that was negative to the real estate or to the landlord, they actually found a solution. So they really wanted me to take the venue on. Mm-hmm. And I think Christy really wanted me to take the venue on. So everything was aligning well together. And I think if, there's some things that align. You have to listen. I think that's as well in business itself. It's like listening to your customers, listening, having an intuition within your business, having an intuition within what you're actually doing in your day-to-day life. It impacts your business. If your customers are saying, I don't like this, and it's not the first time they're actually saying it, then there's something wrong, regardless of if you love it. You just have to listen, sometimes stop and absorb the energy that is around you beyond your own energy. It's it's a space. A a restaurant is an alive space. It has a lot of energy that actually talks to you and you talk back to it. I think it sounds a bit crazy, I know, but it is a form of energy. You have to put in some form of energy and you have to get back some form of energy for it to actually be successful. People need to walk into a space knowing that there is some form of love, some form of understanding, some form of communication, some form of soul, a heart. It's beyond just a financial transaction. It's lovely, the financial transaction, but the financial transaction can never continue if there is no soul or human or humanity or approach or or all those energies that are required in a venue. No, I agree. Because I was going to say, for the, the size to me was the first thing that came to mind that it was 36 seats, it was manageable. Because I think that some places you go to and they're ginormous. And mm. we didn't have backers. We had, you know, the the family bank who kind of helped us out. And so you don't want to take on a venue that seats 150 people. That's a That's a very big risk, I think, to take on. So 36 people, you know, we did as... I said we said earlier this kind of somewhat pathetic business plan and what was in our but what we kind of estimated with our revenue we achieved our highest expectation in the first weekend that we were open so we were just like wow so I think that the the size if for people who are looking to you know open something I think that is really important mm-hmm. if you're just starting off 
because you essentially become every component of that business. We both worked at places with a lot of people and I've, I've got, you know, like five-star hotel background where there's a department for everything, but we became every department. So Michael was the cleaner. He was the, you know, mopping the floors. He like, I don't know, we were just doing absolutely everything. We were ironing aprons for the staff. We were... I mean, napkins. Yeah, napkins, I don't know. Like you just every single department, from the laundry department, cleaning department, to the accounts department, and the chef. And recruitment agency as well. Only thing we didn't do is park your cars. Valid. <laughs> <laughs> but we did, like, so that's that would just be something, to, something for new people wanting to take on a business is definitely look at the size and what you can manage with the team around you or, and with your capabilities. See, also for Michael and I, his background is the chef in the kitchen and my background is purely admin. I cannot work the, well, I can work now the light speed system, but when we started, I couldn't work the point of sale. I had no idea how to carry three plates. You still don't. I still don't. I still don't (laughs) even know. But I can give me a menu and I can format it for you. I can do a lot of different things. So I think as a balance, as a couple, we we bring a lot to the business. More complete each other in a business. Yes. More than bring <laughs> things because we do have half the job. Now that we have a little bit more staffing than we ever had before in managers' capability. So we can split our work a little bit more, but the business has grown a lot. But between the two of us, dividing the work into two has made it much easier than going into a business just by yourself as a sole owner Mm -hmm. without your partner or without a partner or someone to rely on in the other department because Christy is like has a laser eyes on every single thing that happens she can actually see an invoice from a kilometer and know (laughs) But one of the staff has over-ordered, under-ordered, did something like that without her knowing actually what there is and what there is not in the kitchen. And she can alert me going, there has been an over-order over here and under-order over there. Watch this, have a look at that. And that's eyes as a business owner that if you don't have that extra person to have that extra visual and laser eyes on different things that you're doing or the care factor that, not everyone has a care factor that works in your establishment and having someone that takes that care factor as a personal thing just adds an additional added value that you can never replace. Michael, that must give you a lot of comfort when you're in the venue and you know that Christy's just got your back and she doesn't even need to be in the venue to have your back. Like, it must give you a lot of freedom to do some really cool stuff. It gives me a lot of freedom to do like writing books. Mm. That I would not be able to do without Christy because Christy comes with a lot of experience in writing books for other chefs and starting our first cookbook, like just giving her manuscripts with my weird handwriting, like yep. as beautiful as my handwriting looks, <laughs> you just can never understand it, neither can I. So <laughs> to be able to make sense in everything that I wrote over two books, and that would be hundreds and hundreds of pages of just scrambles everywhere and making sense out of it and questioning me a million times even before the editor started questioning me. Yeah. That was kind of 
it, it is a great way, the capability of opening a second restaurant, opening a catering, uh, doing a lot of other things outside, kind of having that admin side of someone that can respond, can do, because if I write you an email, it just sounds like a four-year-old child screaming at you over email. It, it's not actually funny, it's the truth. It's, it's so sad. Like my email capability or my admin capability is equal to zero. Mm. And I come across very rude, arrogant, and screamy over emails or over anything to do with admin. But when you have someone that is very professional and can compose, it automatically gives a nice picture to the business that it is a professional establishment, mm -hmm. that it is an establishment where someone has thought about every little detail from even just the, the banner at an end of an email or how it's signed or capitals written properly, things that I would have never thought that they were actually important in writing an email. But do you know one thing that he doesn't like is if I question him. So I don't necessarily question him. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean question in a, let's say, in a, a big decision about something. Are you sure you want to do this? Or I'm more the devil's advocate and I think that there are times that he agrees or disagrees with that, but I think that you need to have that conversation because if you had two people in a business that automatically every time went, yeah, 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 let's do this, you have that's not necessarily what's going to happen. Like, sorry, not necessarily realistic option. So you have to kind of consider cash flow, staffing, like lots of different factors so i think that's where our energy bounces off each other so as you can understand from her 30 seconds of what she said now i take all the risks and christy puts me in place <laughs> you compliment each other very very well i we just summarized it in two words yeah, <laughs> yes um like it sounds like guys like you had a lot of early success um you know with the first venue like i imagine there would have been a lot of people sort of knocking on the door like wanting you to do other things and other projects and obviously you've developed that over time but how did you with the first venue like how did you capitalize on those different opportunities and what did you do um next after you'd done that first venue so well well so we did it pretty quickly we we opened kevos street kitchen then we did our first cookbook and then we opened another restaurant and then at the same time the second cookbook was released so there was four major things that went on in about a two to three year space. Mm. Um, so I think then we just kind of sat still for a couple of years, but really the major changes it's with us. Because you opened the catering and then COVID <laughs> came and hit and took all of us down. Yes. Then I was going to say that COVID with the biggest change, like there was changes like at Kepos and Co, for example, we were open for dinners six nights a week mm -hmm. we were open for lunch let's say three days a week and breakfast twice a week breakfast was not doing very well at all but we never had the courage to say okay we need to stop breakfast here it's hemorrhaging money like we we kept persevering persevering it's not persevering i think as well from a lot of senses covid taught us that Judge, being judged by your customer base in your mind is stopping you from progressing. 
And I think COVID was a great lesson by telling you, you can actually change and people don't really mind you changing things around. That is, you're not judged of how good or bad of a business by doing changes. And I think people supported change. And I think it's a great testimony what COVID actually did to a lot of businesses is made you think out of the box, made you change your direction and understand that you're not actually judged. You are running a business. It's like yeah. you are educating a child. You change a school or you change direction and you're not judged about doing things a little bit differently. And they have been a testimony of a big success for us as a business and for a lot of others that have really, really been successful by doing change. Change people love. And I think the only thing that stops us is one or two of your regular customers. And that's all really that there is out of your 2,000, 3,000 regular customers. They are these two that like that specific dish and they threaten you that they will not come if you if you change it. But really, when you change it, and you lost those two, you gain another new hundred other ones. So a lot of businesses go down really because they don't do any form of change. They don't progress. They don't adjust their business according to the time of what is happening at the moment. And I think what we learned in the last three years since COVID started is you do have to change. You do have to adjust. You do have to adapt. And you don't have to wait for a pandemic to do that. If your business is saying something, it has a soul. You have to listen to your business. You have to listen to your customer, but you don't have to listen to that one or two people that are there that make you stale. And they make you stale because they want to be stale. And it's and the second you change things, you are changing their routine. You're changing their boring routine. And if that's what they like, they can move to somewhere else that they can be stale at. But I think the business succeeds and becomes successful is the more you actually are intuitive with with the soul of your own business and with your staff and your real customer base. In in regards to the different the different things you guys have done over the years, obviously the two cookbooks uh, you opened uh, Kepos and Co in uh, 2015. Um, how have you made sure those were the right opportunities at the time? Was it was it about just talking, you know, together and deciding if that was the right thing? Was it people coming to you and, and offering you these opportunities and then sort of getting some external advice? Like how did you take every opportunity as it came along? But it depends if you're asking me or you're asking Christy because <laughs> two totally different answers over here. Uh, so I'll start with my answer. Okay. I'm sure that Christy's going to give you a totally different answer. To you got it. So... I, as well, as I said, I'm very intuitive to my own business. I like to listen to the energy that is around me. And some of it as well as our customer base. When Keppel Street Kitchen got to a stage where people had to book three, four months in advance to be able to go in. And we started losing customer base because of that. So people started to get annoyed as a local that they can't really go in because outsiders or the destination used to be a little bit more organized than a local and they would book so much in advance. Well, a local would just go, oh, I don't feel like cooking tonight. Let's go to our local. So they were not able to do that. And that's what I thought, you know, we do need, Keppel Street Kitchen has always been designed to be a local. 
So let's open something close by to it that is designed for a destination while this one stays as its own identity without kind of dragging it to become something that it's actually not. Because I think with a lot of businesses, the more you become popular and famous, you start changing and you start becoming something that you're not originally designed yourself to be. And it's nice, progress is great, but that is not the success behind you originally. And when you take that original success, not developing on it, but changing the whole direction, then you're actually really losing who you are as a chef, as a personality, as a restaurant. And then you open an, an establishment beside it that complements it, that gives an answer to the destination while you're there still as the answer for the locals. So to me, answering your question is, I try to listen to what is happening around me and how my energy, and as well as a chef, you want to develop, you want to show people there is more that you can offer. I'm not just a one-trick pony kind of person. I want to give you and show you that I've done it in this way, but I can do it in another direction. I've given you the casual format. Now I'm giving you the more formal format. So it is a self-development. It's a self-improvement. And as well, there's some show-off part in you, the ego that wants to grow. I think it's the chef in you that always pushes you that you want to see more of you. And your answer, Christy. I, I would say, as for external advice, things like the accountant, um, the that we've certainly um, relied on the accountant at that time. Can we afford to do this? You know, it was um, you were, we were fitting out a brand new venue, literally starting from scratch. Um, I know builders and things like that. So that there's certainly, you know, the you know again family advice you know successful people in our family um I mean everyone wants to give you an opinion um their opinion but you take the information that you you know that you want basically um and look there was Kevos and Co was the most beautiful restaurant and we got a hat within a couple of weeks of opening and we maintained the hat basically all the way through up, up until COVID. COVID. So we we chose the lease ran out in February this year and we, for many reasons, not just COVID, we chose to not renew the lease there, but we kind of left there on our own terms and which is also something that we are kind of grateful for, to leave, to be able to say yeah. we, we, we did the whole seven-year lease there um, you know, we paid the rent on time. We were good tenants, all of those things. But Not many restaurants can say that about them, about their finishing. Agreed. But we actually finished with having a fully booked restaurant till the last day. And that's not many restaurants can actually say that. We, we finished by people crying that they wanted us to stay open. And to us, that was the most special thing about shutting one venue and kind of now, and as well, it's a development again, kind of talking about development. And I thought that Kepos and Co was stopping me from developing. One of the reasons of shutting it down is personal development. It, it had, 
it became pretty, everything that I've been doing started to become a little bit stale. You, you know, when you're not being adventurous and you're not trying new things and the catering started to pick up and I'm, I, I really love the creative side of events when you take a shell of a room with nothing there and you're working with planners and and music and artists and florists and uh styling different things and setting up things in in weird locations and satellite kitchens and being able to execute those extraordinary kind of events they're very lavish and over the top and they are super creative and to us this became the, the new direction of what we are actually enjoying doing at this stage and that's where building our new venue at the moment that is in the process of uh being built is, is hopefully will be our new kind of baby and i think leaving a restaurant saying we are doing something new and we're stopping on our own terms is a remarkable achievement personally yeah i totally agree um Michael, obviously, we've talked a lot. You've talked a lot and mentioned many times in the podcast about energy a lot, right? Yeah. And and I think in regards with the catering business, I really want to understand that a bit more. Like, what what energy do you get? And obviously, Christy as well. Like from doing catering, because catering can be quite. It's a lot better than it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. But it, it can be still quite vanilla kind of concepts, right? Like cut and paste. Like let's do this event for this, and you know, you get the same sort of food and that kind of stuff. I really can't imagine you guys doing a catering event like that. Like, I think it would be quite bespoke for every single thing you do. So how do you, what what do you get personally from the catering that is different uh, than what you get from you ask, Keppel Street? If you're asking me, I, I get something totally different. Christy gets the financial side. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I would say for Michael, though, it's a challenge. And I think that it's the challenge that he is, that, that's that's what drives you with the catering, that you like, that someone can come to you with a blank, as he said, a, a blank space, a blank canvas. This is what I want to do. Like Michael did an event a couple of months ago and it was for um, an, an overseas business, but they needed to create, like recreate like a science lab. So all the canapes had to be slightly molecular, um, which is something that Michael has never done before it would never have been in our restaurants or anything but if a client comes to you with that brief or they might come and say you know we're getting married I want to do a wedding down at this venue at Kangaroo Valley it's then the whole logistics of moving your whole operation down to a like a another site for the weekend so it's it challenges Michael in a totally different way and I think when you went back when you were talking before sorry about the you know the vanilla kind of cookie cutter thing we actually had this conversation in the office today that it's quite difficult we don't have a menu when you say pick three entrees you know three canapes and three whatever and that's what it is each event Michael will sit down with the um the bride and groom or the person having the birthday or whatever, the client, and we'll create a menu for them. So that's where I think it's quite yeah. 
creatively it's challenging. Very bespoke and it's very custom. So it is okay. custom to your theme, custom to your venue, custom to your personality. Like we did a, an event for an actress that is Aboriginal background mm. and her husband is from a totally different nationality. And we needed to find a lot of native Australian stuff and combine it with his personal nationality and kind of making an event very... That when you're eating things, you're just going, oh my God, there is something here that I would never have cooked with. Or this kind of ingredient is talking to me as a native ingredient, but it is combined with another cultural ingredient to make it a little bit more interesting. And then the, the styling, the, the plates, the crockery, the cutlery, the floral arrangements that, you know, you make you do request from the florist to work more on native florals and adding kind of different florals from a different culture. And combining those things together can be very, very challenging because not necessarily things do work. So then you have to actually make them work because you are creating a vision for them because you are sitting with them and brainstorming and coming with these weird ideas about different, and things and then you have to actually bring it to life and bringing them live and kind of doing rehearsals prior to that it, it's much more than just a box of sandwiches to someone that is wrapped with a ribbon it's it's not that it's we do that part as well but that's not the challenging part for me that is just the bread and butter that keeps things afloat on a weekly basis but the, the fun part is sitting with someone and just designing their dream adventure together. And it's a, a year or 12 months or sorry, 18 months working together with them. And you're automatically emotionally involved with them. You're emotionally involved with their family and you're automatically attached to them. You're attached to their dream. You can dream about the floral arrangements. You can dream about the event. It's, it's very bizarre. It's seriously quite unique in its approach. And you work with some extraordinary people, some seriously very talented people to create those events because they can be a, a lot of money involved to create those visions. They're not a cookie cutter template done. And I struggle with the cookie cutter because a lot of people come to us to ask us for an event because they've seen things that we've done and they ask for a sample menu and you just go, I don't have that, I'm sorry. Like, what, what do you want? What, what is your dream? And I think a lot of people struggle with knowing what their dream is and they need to navigate them, but a lot of people don't give you the opportunity to actually get to that point with them because they're so emotionally blocked. They, sure. they, they just want to copy something that someone else did. They just don't want to have their personality involved yep. in, in their event. And you just go, if that's what you want, I think I'm not the right caterer for you. I, I don't want to do something I did last week. It's not, I'm not a fashion designer. I'm just a chef. <laughs> so I, I'm not going, I'm not going to make you wear that season's yellow. But... I don't want to be doing just the same thing again and again and again. Sorry, that just describes it a little bit better than oh, just going. That's, that's good. Is that's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I don't want to come to you for a smoked salmon canapé, uh, Michael. Um, sounds like it. Um, 
<laughs> I, I imagine that process obviously is extremely rewarding, right? And and uh, I imagine comes with a lot of empathy as well. But it, it also would be quite draining going through that process with every client, you know, like when when you're saying yes to so many different things and you're drawing those kind of information out of people, like how do you how do you say no? To something. Oh no, easily. I, I, it's not. You don't say no. I, I'm not a big believer in the word no. I, I was explaining oh. that to my staff a lot of the time. You, you don't use negative words with people that have a dream because when you do use the word no with people that have dreams, you're actually just giving them negative connotation. You, you can lead people. That's that's my job. My job is to give you a solution to your dream without me offending you to tell you that your dream is not achievable. It's me giving you alternatives. And it's not manipulation. It's semi-manipulation in, in a form, but it's not really. It's, it's guiding you. It's, it's guiding Taking you a different path. It's just helping you to... to build something that is actually achievable without me giving you any negative connotation that no, that's not possible. And I think a, a lot of time you hear that from, from people that when you want to do something or you want to build something or you want to do a renovation of some form or if you want to build something or you want to change something or you want to write something, people usually tend to say no a lot because it's not in their comfort zone and that to me is wrong when you do that to people you should never be saying no to things you should be finding a solution for them that is not necessarily what they wanted exactly but you build that as a new adventure with them you're going into the adventure together and i say that to a lot of my clients when we sit together we start with one thing and we're going to end up with something totally different but you have to be ready for the adventure we're going into this together and we will find a way to make it happen in different ways, different aspects. If this flower is not in season, we can find something else that is actually as nice or different nice. Or then we just change the tablecloth and we change the chair and we change the food and we change the plate. And that's the adventure. It's the fun of it. And I tell that to a lot of my clients. The fun of the event is the lead up to the event. The event itself is only three, four hours. Yeah. You're not going to be there to actually sense any of it. What you're going to enjoy is that one year of building it. But, as the, sorry, as the person who lives with him, I think it is when the event is over, there is, and especially when it's been successful, there is a great sense of relief you know, because it takes so much energy. Like some days Michael can go to a function, like leave at 7 a.m. and not get home until midnight, which is what happened last Saturday. You know, he's at, he goes to work in the morning. The staff see him in the morning, but then he has got a whole, you know, he leaves them in the afternoon and then goes and does this function, walks in the door at midnight and then is back at work again at quarter to seven the next morning. So it is, it, I would imagine for Michael, it's mentally and physically draining as well. How do you, um, you both are very different leaders as in, as in, as in, you're both very similar, I think, in how you, in how you lead. I can hear from how you're talking about your different stories, but you're very different from a lot of leaders I talk to, right? Like 
there seems to be this power and this this energy that comes, which is very dynamic and and changes and and thinks of things in a different way. And obviously, Michael, you've talked a lot about that on the podcast. Like, do you understand where that comes from? Because it's very unique in the way that you think about energy and the way you think about not saying no and and how you're actually moving forward with positivity and always showing up. Like these different things are really important in leadership traits. Was this something that has just come throughout your career or something that's innate in you or have you thought about it before? I think I learned a lot on the job and I learned a lot from the working in fine dining. You work towards perfection, especially old school fine dining that I was kind of raised in, not the world today with chefs. Well, my years of fine dining, you start at 7 a.m. and you finish at 2 2 a.m. after you had to polish every copper pot and you would get maybe half an hour break, you would be standing up and eating like a dog just to inhale food in, but you would be so driven and so excited that you're feeding people at night that Mm. it wouldn't be annoying you or you wouldn't be whinging about it. You're just excited that even someone throws a pan or a pot at you or a plate at you. That That's something mm-hmm. you would never see today or you would never hear about today because that's abuse. Well, in my day, that was not actually abuse. That was just the way people trained you. And I think <clears throat> I've always worked with people that wanted me to be aiming for perfection in food and in the way we present things and in the way we approach customers and that ingrains in your head even to restaurant managers that every plate had to be measured in the right direction or in centimeter movements that a lot of the chefs today don't ever get to experience that so when they go out and run their own businesses they don't have that drive or drive to perfection or kind of the the ability to be in your business for 16 to 18 hours even if you're exhausted and you can't stand on your feet you're still smiling and you're still continuing on and pushing on till you get to that sense of perfection so i think a lot of it is led by work and a lot of it as well is led by the new world so it's just being able to be because I can't lead the same way I was led. I had to adjust the way I lead people. But the perfection is not something that I want to take away. I, I love that part. I love that part about an event. I love that part about the restaurant. I love that part about how we do things in our business. And it gives you a lot of motivation and it gives you a lot of perfection. And at the same time, you have to learn as well how to deal with people today because if you want to be able to motivate a chef that does not want to do more than 40 hours a week, that's their capability today because it's not that they're spoiled, it's just what they know. You can't judge them for what they know, how they deal with the world today. So you have to adjust by not saying, no, you have to be here for 50 hours. No, you can't do this. Because if you're going to say no too many to them, there's another job around the corner. You're not actually motivating them. So it's as well with building menus with staff. I never say no to something people come up with. I can change it around with them to what I want, to how the dish I think should look like. But I wouldn't say no to their idea because then they're never going to come to again with another idea to you because you're just blocking them every time they're coming to you. Do you know, 
years and years ago when we first opened, because I was not on site all the time, we had a, an agreement that it was going to be good cop, bad cop. And Michael was going to be the good cop because he was going to be at Kepos Street and he was going to be, you know, like like the kind of friendly, face cheery of the face, mm. face of the business. I was going to be bad cop with the staff because I was not there all the time and whatever, but we quickly learnt that I was not that person. Michael became a bad cop. And good cop, both <laughs> at the same time. And I just had to kind of sometimes fade into the, but not fade into the background, but that's just so not my thing. Oh, I think everybody can hear that you don't know how to fade into the background. The, con- the confrontation or whatever. I think, though, it's just, it took us a while to kind of find that balance of things, you know, like how we deal with different things or if if there's a tough phone call sometimes it needs to be made we we make <laughs> we say, I could do it I could you want to do that can you just call this person please can you do this but give me something on email and I'm more than happy to kind of do it so it is just interesting how you kind of balance out but I would say for me I've worked with some pretty amazing people over the years and I think you learn good and bad things from people and I think certainly one of the things I like is that I walk in in the morning and I like to use everyone's name I like to say hello I like to remember something about them or and I think I think that's really important rather than then just coming in going can I have a coffee and then going off to the office and they're just like who does she think she is or whatever I think you have to show equally that sign if you want them to respect you in the very basic level of hi Christy how was your weekend or something Hmm. you know you you have to kind of approach the staff in the same way I've got um two questions before we sign off for today um the first one Michael you've talked a lot about uh perfect uh, like perfectionism which I take as care more than anything else, I think that is the care that comes through with being making sure you're doing the right thing. What do you think as an industry we need to do better to make sure we're setting up people who work in the industry right now as employees to better set them up for success in business? This is a question to both of you. I'm really interested in your feedback. Oh, that's a very, very hard one to ask. Uh, I, I don't know. I think giving the care factor, and I think if anybody wants to open their own business, if they treat someone else's business, and I always said that before, and I will continue saying that, the way you treat someone's business is the way you're going to treat your own. It's a simple rule. I think a lot of people go, oh, no, when I open my own business, it's going to be different. It won't be different. If you treat the, the, the way you treat all the, uh, wastage in someone's restaurant is the way you're going to treat it in your own restaurant. The way you're going to be lazy in your someone's restaurant, you're going to be lazy in your own restaurant. The way you're going to treat the staff in your own in someone's restaurant is the way you're going to treat it in your own restaurant. I think you just lead what you do in someone's business is what you're going to do in your own business. So if I have to give someone a tip is just challenge yourself a little bit more. Um, but I, Perfection is something that is different to everyone. What is perfect is what is good. I think whatever you can improve someone's business is the way you're going to learn so much and improve your own. That would be my tip. What do you think, Christy? 
I think that's a good answer, Michael, because I think that people, like we we look at, we often say, you know, they've ordered this much stuff and it's just going to sit there. And I think that it's the um, it's the care that pe- people don't show the same amount of care to your own business. So I think it's, yes, if someone is, but look, I don't think that everyone is also cut out to be a business owner. It, it is a tough, tough thing to do. Um, so I think you really have to have that drive and that passion. And it's not just like saying, oh, I, I make a good burger. I'm going to open a cafe. Um, there's so many other aspects uh, out there to like to running your own business. And I think it's also um, gaining knowledge is really important. There's so much information that you can get from government websites, speaking to your local council, getting a good accountant. Um, oh, that's yeah, very important. Yeah, a good accountant, a good accountant is, is, is yeah. invaluable. Yeah. We actually had a business coach for a couple of years. I know that's kind of getting off topic a bit, but I think that the learning aspect that you can never stop learning in your own business and if you want to open a business, I think, like, do your research and find, like do a plan of, I don't know this. You see, Christy comes with the logic and I come with the emotion. <laughs> That's why you both work so well together. It's awesome. Yes, thank you. Always <laughs> the logic. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> um, my hmm. final question to you both is, you know, with the different verticals you've got in the business, obviously you've got the two books, you've got uh, Kepo Street Kitchen, uh, obviously the catering arm as well. It sounds like you're doing something, mm-hmm. something a bit new as well. So we could talk, talk about how you're, how are you developing those different verticals? Because I imagine it takes a lot of time and energy and patience. And also, what are you looking forward to in the future? I think I imagine there's some exciting things happening soon. There's always something exciting because I'm, I'm a little bit with a person that always needs a new adventure and something new to work on. So I, th- I think we've all figured that one out about me. I come with the weird ideas all the time and Christy has to actually make them come alive. Well, no, we make them come alive together. But, but I also think that there's one bit that we just did not even touch on and which is all the stuff in our deli. And I think that there's like the take-home products and everything. And I think with that, that is something that has been a kind of evolving thing that we've been working on thanks to COVID and pivoting. And I think that that for me would be something that we're looking forward to expanding that side of things. We've got a commercial kitchen coming. Um, I th- yeah, I think there's lots of carriage exciting. Works. Yeah, we're at the Carriage Works Markets, which is a big market in Sydney, um, in the, like the inner city every weekend. So we're there now. Like it's just interesting that the changes the, the good changes that are coming or that are happening, basically. Yeah. Sounds like you're feeling really positive moving forward, like that things are really kicking on. I think there's there's always things happening in life. It's just you need to be kind of ready to accept different things because you can be negative and say no to everything or you can just explore them. And like I always take every new thing people tell me, oh, would you like to open this? Or would you like to do this? I never say no as the first thing. I just go, can I have a look at it? Can I, can you give me a little bit more information? Or, because you never know what the opportunity is. 
it could be the most amazing opportunity and it could be the worst opportunity in the world. It could be something that is not something that I like at the moment, that it could be something that I may like later on. And it just opens you up to new people. Yeah. And I think that is the basic thing in, in businesses is the ability to connect with people and create new contacts. Because that person that offered you to open something now that doesn't work for you, but it could actually be beneficial in two, three years from now. It's not the right timing now, but it could be the right timing in three years. So the second you said no and you blocked them, they're not going to come back to you again. They're going to ignore you. So the second you are ready and open for people and go, okay, let's look at the adventure. And then you just are honest going, look, at the moment, it's not the right fit for me, but I would love to look at it on a later on stage. Or if you get something new and interesting that would fit me, this is what I would love to be my new adventure. If you see something that fits that and people will keep their eye on you. People will actually look for something for you. And then it's amazing in this world, your customer base. It's that we have a new adventure coming up soon. We can't actually talk about it yet. Uh, <laughs> but as well, it, it came from one of my regular customers because they tell you there's an extraordinary idea and you just, instead of going, no, not at the moment. I'm a bit tired. I just shut one restaurant. I just want to have a little bit of a break. You just go, yeah, I'm happy to listen to what you have to say. And then it actually was beneficial for us at the moment. And there's a lot of other stuff that are non-beneficial. So I don't think that the future is... Bright. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just happy to listen to whatever anyone comes up with without blocking them and just going, you know what, this doesn't work for me now. It can work later on. We have a lot on our plate at the moment. I think we're going to have a lot more on our plate in the next coming year. So I think we're very excited. We, yes. Yeah. We are. We have a lot always to work on. When Michael is around, he always creates new work for everyone. Christy <laughs> is looking forward to a holiday. <laughs> well, Christy, I hope you get that soon. Um, Thank you, Sean. It's, it's, yes. It's booked in. So it's okay. <laughs> Good. Got it. Yep. The most important thing, Michael, is the most important thing. Um, Guys, today's been honestly a pleasure, and that's been an understatement. I've learned a lot. I know that people would have listened to have learned a lot as well and got a lot from this podcast. Um, I reckon there's probably a couple of people probably listening to this podcast as well who are from the industry who'd probably want to reach out by way of just knowing more about you guys or potentially working for you or working with you. What's the best way that people can find out a bit more about Keppel Street Kitchen? I think through our... Uh, social media is becoming a big thing. So social media is a great one to see what, what everything is happening around, coming in, sending us an email, uh, calling the old-fashioned way, calling a landline, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, instead of DMing on, on Instagram, on my private one, I never look at it anyway. <laughs> Good to know. Um, don't, uh, do, don't slide into his DMs. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure that won't happen. As always, that's going to be linked up in the show notes of this podcast. Michael Rentizzi and Christy Frawley, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Sean. Thanks again for tuning to another episode of Raw, brought to you by Lightspeed and the Poe Network. We hope you really enjoyed the episode and we love 
for you to leave us a review and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. It would mean a lot to us and we'd love to hear your feedback on this series. To find out more about Lightspeed and how they can ignite your business in hospitality, you can find them at lightspeedhq.com.au. Thanks so much for tuning to another episode and until next time, stay well, everyone.